I would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Kathy. Thank you very much. Hi, I am Kathy and I'm anorexic. Hi, Kathy. And see, this is the old chain from my uh, newcomer chip that came off because the hold got so uh, worn out by the chain. That, that's, how I've, that's how I've gone through two before. I, I, I haven't eaten them. <laughs> um, it's great to be here. And um, it's interesting that I am taking a newcomer trip because, you know, I'm really not, I'm not at all new to the program. I've been in program for over 20 years. And um, um, let me see. And I have over 20 years of abstinence. So I'm very old. Um, I need an old comers chip. <laughs> but what's great is that, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times I see when, when people sign in uh, on the uh, on the uh, book when it goes around, and, and some people always sign in and say, uh, every day I'm new, I'm new, and, and I, I, you know, I never said that because I'm not new. I've been here. I put in I put in a lot of time in this in this program, and it's been it's not been a straight road at all. It's been very up and down and curvy and and you know it's not at all it's not this recovery is not at all linear at least certainly not in my experience. But how I the reason I I, I like having my newcomers chip is that I I feel that as as open as I feel, as young as I feel, and as new as I feel when I'm around program or anything else in life, as teachable as I am, is really to my best to my best service, and ultimately to to, your, to everyone else's best service. You know, um, with whom I, be, I come into contact. Um, I don't want to know everything. I don't want to ever think that I know everything. That's just death to me. Um, so as I said, I've been in program for over 20 years. Um, I started, uh, I actually went to my first meeting longer ago than, than when I uh, considered my my beginning of program. I went to my first meeting, I think it was in November of 1985, and uh, a, ther a therapist that I was seeing at the time had suggested that I check out Overeaters Anonymous, and uh, this was not the first time that it had been introduced to me. Um, my mother had mentioned Overeaters Anonymous to me many years ago, which is really is, is just basically a guarantee for me to had walked the other way, you know. <laughs> Any, anything that my mother had said to me was just uh, poison. And, um, and it, you know, this was not really her fault. This was built on, on, on years of, of bad communication. Um, and I, I participated in that. So, when, when my mother had mentioned to me years ago, I, I was... Um, 
I was really in, in a, a bad place in my disease. I weighed, uh, I was at the, the bottom weight that I, I was aware of, which was just under 85 pounds. I was, um, I was, I was about 22 years old. And I knew there was something wrong with me. I mean, I was, certainly wasn't happy, and I thought I was fat, and people would tell me that I looked like a concentration camp victim, which, uh, um, to which I, I responded with feigned uh, concern, because I really felt um, triumphant in that, because it was something that I was, I, I thought I was winning. I was, I was, oh, this is really good that they, that they think I look like a concentration camp victim, because that means I'm doing a really good job at whatever the hell I was doing. Um, so I knew I needed some help, and, and we had a friend of the family who had, had been going to Ovaries Anonymous, and um, her problem was um, manifested in obesity, different from what I was experiencing. Um, but as, I, as I've come to learn in these rooms, not very different at all. Um, so I called the number for OA in New York at the time, and it was a recording, and it said, if you want a meeting list, you can send 25 cents to blah, 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 and I say hung up. You know, I said, ah, oh, I'm sending 25 cents in the mail. You know, I, just, I was so not ready to be helped. So I walked away from it. Um, and... I didn't really have, I, I was in therapy, and it helped me, my, it helped me through some very um, difficult sort of tra trauma stages of, of my disease. I, you know, it kept me out of the hospital. I was never in the hospital, but I was pretty close. Um, and I gained a little bit of weight. And I moved out to Los Angeles, and I was seeing a therapist in, in, um, in 1985, and she recommended that I check out an OA meeting. And I really loved this woman, and I felt very comfortable with her, and I trusted her. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. So she told me about an OA for AA meeting that was on Hillgard in Westwood in the basement of a church, which... To me, I had you know been raised in a Jewish house, and I, I can't go into a church. It was really, really very frightening to me for some reason, because it had always been presented like that to me. Oh, you can't go to church. No, it's very. You can't go to church. And um, so, but I made it into the church, and, and it was okay. I wasn't. I wasn't too freaked out by it, and uh, sat through the meeting, and it was interesting. And then at the end of the meeting, we held hands and said the Lord's Prayer. And that, that was good. I, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't handle it. It was just, you know, I was really, I, I mean, I, I was really indoctrinated. I had a lot in my head that didn't belong to me, um, that I thought was mine, but it really, it really wasn't. It was, it was uh, my parents and my families and my neighborhoods and my teachers and, you know, Whoever, it wasn't it wasn't mine though, um, but I thought it was. So 
I went back to my therapist and I said, I, I, I didn't like it. It wasn't, I wasn't ready. Okay, she said, fine. And, and, and then we just moved on with our therapy. And then a few months later, she mentioned to me that she knew someone who had gone to an OA meeting that had an emphasis in anorexia and bulimia. And she said, you might consider giving this woman a call. A call. And I said, okay. So I, I called her, and we talked a little bit. And she told me about the meeting. It was at um, the Federal Building in Westwood. And she was telling me about some of the things that went on at the meeting. And she said, um, some, oh, some of the things she said that, that were shared were pretty amazing. And she mentioned that Someone had shared that she had um, this thing that she did with her food, which was she didn't throw up. She would she would chew her food and swallow it, and then bring it up, and then chew it again, and then swallow it, and then bring it up and chew it again. And and I said, oh wow. And meanwhile, I'm thinking, oh my God, somebody else does what I've been doing this like horrible secret that I had that only one person had caught me doing in, in all my years was, was my sister who caught me doing it one time when I wasn't being care- I wasn't being careful and uh, she said to me what are you doing with your neck and because she could see like my neck muscles working and I, I said well I'm uh, I'm swallowing up my food and she said oh and that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> so, um, I'm lucky, lucky my family didn't want to probe into that too much. <laughs> Not lucky, but whatever. Uh, so, um, I knew I had to get to this meeting. And it was either on, a, I know there were two meetings there. It was either on a Monday or a Wednesday. And I, I, I went to the, whatever was the next meeting I went to. And as soon as, as soon as I got there and the meeting started and I started hearing people, I knew I was in the right place. And to me, this is so important because, especially if you're new to the program, um, sometimes the first meeting isn't going to feel right, or the second meeting, or the third meeting, or, or sometimes it's just not going to feel right for a long time. And it doesn't mean that you're in the wrong place. At that point in my disease, I needed to be around people who had very similar symptoms, of, like tangible symptoms to, to what I had. Um, people who were starving themselves, most, you know, basically. It was really important to me. People who, who were really skinny who thought they were fat. That was really important that I could relate to people on that level. But as years went by in program and I, and I got more and more recovery and I started to really understand what it was all about underneath, that stuff wasn't as important. But it was at the beginning and it, and it was great that I found that meeting and that that meeting was there. And that's why it's really good, I suppose, that there are so many meetings that have various emphases that people can go to so that you can feel a, conne- a connection on a, on a different level. So um, I just knew that I, I knew that I was in the right place, and I just kept going to meetings, and I 
took numbers and I called. I mean, I was so willing because it, it wasn't, I didn't have to force myself at that point. It really felt good. It felt right. It felt comfortable. And I wanted it. Um, so that was in February of, of 86. And then two months later, I uh, became abstinent. And my abstinence was defined at the time uh, for me was that I, was, I, I wouldn't swallow up my food no matter what. That was, that was it. That was my bottom line abstinence. And that's the date that I keep as my abstinence. And, and I don't even know exactly which date that is. It's either April 4th, 5th, or 6th. Uh, and I'm not sure which date that is, but I, I just celebrate one of those each year. Um, I'm, like, I'm like somebody who came over from Russia and doesn't know her real birthday. <laughs> um, so, um, but I was still starving myself. And I was still, you know, I was still doing things that were really uh, pretty sick. And, and the bottom line was that I wasn't going to let go. I needed to have some control over something, and that's, that's where my disease came from. I had a very smothering mother. I had a very strict and scary father. And um, there were no boundaries in my house, no physical boundaries, no emotional boundaries. I remember when I was a teenager one time, my father threatened to take my bedroom door off its hinges if I continued to close it. Now, you find a preacher who needs more privacy than a teenage girl. And um, so, I mean, that's just an example of, of the kind of family I lived in. And it was, um, it was intense. So I found a way to um, what I thought uh, would be to take back some power, which would be to starve myself, and to get as, as thin as I could. And I could never get as thin as I wanted to be, ever. I never thought I looked thin. Um, so I continued to screw around with my food, my meals, and control them, and I wouldn't eat, um, I would only eat two meals a day, either either breakfast or lunch and dinner. I couldn't have breakfast and lunch. And what would happen was, uh, if I had breakfast and then somebody would call me and say, let's meet for lunch, I would have to make up a story um, why I couldn't. And I'd say, well, let's make a plan for another day. And then we did, so I knew if I was going to have lunch that day, then I didn't have breakfast. So... Um, I was still, I, 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 was, I was not ready to let go at all. And then um, a few years later, I, I had a job, and I started really early in the morning, and I, and I was hungry, so I had to eat breakfast. And then everybody went to lunch and ate lunch. <laughs> and these people ate. <laughs> and, and they were, they were, normal people and they were in great shape and they were working hard through their days and they needed to have lunch so 
you know, I couldn't stand it. I, I, I mean, I just couldn't stand it. I had to eat something. I was starved. And I couldn't work um, if I didn't eat and I didn't want to lose my job. So I figured, all right, if they can do it, I'll do it. So I ate and it was it was amazing. Like I would have, I went through afternoons without headaches. It was just this whole amazing world that I didn't know I could have. And, and nothing terrible happened to me. And then I got some sort of a social life back from that because I could start meeting friends for lunch. And I didn't have to lie about it. Of course, this all happens in at the same time as I'm going to meetings and working the steps and working with a sponsor and getting and getting no not getting abstinent but but becoming more honest about things and then you know one thing that has so changed in me across the board in 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 my life is my level of honesty from being in this program, there are certain things I don't feel comfortable with. I mean, if I'm undercharged someplace, I don't feel comfortable. Um, I just don't like to lie. I mean, even as, as small as it is, I like to keep my place clean, you know. And then whatever anybody else does is up to them. But I want to know that I'm I'm telling the truth. And this is not the kind of house that I grew up in. I, you know, I grew up in a house that, you know, you wheel and you deal and you find a loophole and if they don't charge you, it's too bad on them. And, you know, my father would get off a road and go around some circuitous route to save a quarter. And, and, and it wasn't that, it wasn't that he was lying to do that, but he, you know, that was the bottom line for my dad was save money. And one, t- I remember one time I was, um, I was six years old, and my family went to the Guggenheim Museum, and uh, my dad went to get the tickets, and then we went to hand the person the tickets to be um, let into the exhibit, and the person looked at the tickets and looked at us and and said, uh, pointed to me and said, how old is she? And my dad said, she's five. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm six. (laughs) Because I was very proud that I was six. And then he was embarrassed and he had to go back and get another ticket. And my mother said something like, don't, don't ever say that. You know, if daddy does that, don't say, you know, like they were like telling me to lying, and these are the things that I learned. And I mean, oh, there's one thing that I've had such a hard time talking about um, that I had a job as a cashier in a supermarket when I was 16 years old, and I mean, I just wanted my, my parents' approval uh, above all. That that, it, however, I could get that was, was was most important to me. Um, and I knew that my parents loved to save money. So I said to them, um, come to my register um, when, I'm, when, I'm on, uh, when I'm working and I'll, you know, I'll undercharge you. And they said, great. <laughs> my parents said that. And, 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 I, and you know, I was 16. 
I mean, I, it would have been nice to have I known better at that point, but these, this is, these are the people who raised me, and I really wanted to please them. And they colluded with me in being a criminal, basically. And this has been a very hard thing for me to talk about because I think for a long time I really wanted to um, protect my parents. And um, I think I had a lot of shame about that, that they would... But you know what? They, they're just... They're people. They're people and they're flawed and they make mistakes and they make their own choices. And... Um, I'm just glad that I can talk about it now because it's not anything that eats away at me and it's not anything that, that runs my life and it's and and it can't hurt me anymore because I can talk about it. Um, so I can't remember where I was going with this. Oh yeah, I was um I was talking about how how my abstinence changed. That um, a few years a few years after I became abstinent, initially, I started eating lunch. And then, and then after that, I really can't um, name anything specific that happened. But I know that the more I work the steps and the more I um, understand them and they become a part of the way I live, the more everything changes. So... Anything that I'm doing that's that's not clean, that's not honest, um, that's an action that I take out of fear instead of love, tends to dissipate, tends to go away in my life. Um, I think I'm... I'm going through the steps now. Um, I think this is my third. I think this is my third time, um, which I guess is not really a lot in 20 years. Um, I was never one of those uh, people who uh, did a lot of homework. You know, I just. Uh, and a lot of times I would find myself going to a meeting because I felt guilty that I didn't go to a meeting. I haven't gone to a meeting. I have to go. Not because, not because um, I need to go to a meeting because meetings make me feel good uh, or that they help my, my recovery. I have to go to a meeting because I feel guilty that I haven't been to a meeting and what's going to happen to me and oh, you know, it's like I really have to examine what my motives are. And if, if, if I'm motivated by fear, then... Generally, it, it needs to be looked at a little bit more. Um, because when I do something out of, out of fear, the, result, the, the results I get aren't lasting. It sort, of, it sort of like puts a band-aid on it. Like, oh, I haven't been doing meeting a long time. Oh, okay, I got you meeting. Good. Okay, all right, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, fine, I'm safe. You know, and, and I'm not really experiencing it. I'm not getting anything because the only reason I'm showing up is to kind of get my point. You know? It's not because I really want what it can offer me. Um, and I still do that. I mean, I still do a lot of things that, uh, that I don't want to do because and the reason that I don't want to do them is because they don't make me feel good. I mean, I really just want to feel good. 
Um, and you know, I just I just have come through a really hard um, period of my life, and or at least I'm, I'm I'm coming through it. A lot of things have happened. I I have been I've had, I've had depression for pretty much my whole life, and um, I've been on antidepressants on, since, I guess, about 1991, various, various brands, various types, uh, and they would work, and then they'd stop working, and this is, you know, this is sort of what happens sometimes with antidepressants, but there's definitely something chemical with me. I mean, I, I know it. Uh, and I, lately I was, I was, nothing was helping me. I tried several antidepressants and nothing was helping me. And I was really, really depressed. And I just turned 50 in, uh, I mean, last year, October. I'll be 51 next month. And um, started going through menopause. Became a mom for the first time. My dad died three months ago. Um, our finances have been very, very bad. I mean, just uh, difficult. You know, we're just not making we're not making enough money to meet our our uh, expenses. And um, my stepson lived with us for a while, moved out, and now my stepdaughter lives with us. And so now we're like uh, my husband and I, my stepdaughter who's 17, my daughter who's three, and a dog living in 700 and um, that would you know make the happiest person feel a little bit cramped I think and for me for what I was going through it it just really put me over the edge and um, I finally um, I had my I had been seeing a psychiatrist who wanted me to try something else, another another uh, medication. I was very reluctant because I had tried some medications that had helped, and I was getting tired of it and trying them and having to go through a period of them not working and having the expense of the medications. And, and it got so bad. I mean, I, every day I just wanted to die. Every day I wanted to die. And this was, this was you know, over the past few months, and I've been, I mean, this is how long I've been abstinent and in program, and then, you know, I just took, I, I took a dive. I mean, I was in bad, bad shape, and I was crying all the time. I just, I was wanting to die. I was wanting to be in, like, like hit by a bus or caught in gang crossfire. I mean, like, you know, just, like, whatever, anything that, that I didn't have to do myself, basically. And I just, you know, I just wanted to be uh, a victim because that's how I was feeling, you know. I wanted I wanted to be a victim, and I just didn't feel like life was worth it. It just felt bad all the time. And I just didn't see any way out. And I thought the only way out was me to, for me to get more work and for me to make more money. And that wasn't happening. And I thought everything outside of me was going to have to change uh, for me to be happier. And I started seeing um, a spiritual um, a practitioner who, um, who's, 
whose work is not, it's not the same as, as the 12 steps, but it's very, um, very compatible with the 12 steps. And started learning a whole different language and continued to work with my sponsor. And I became willing, and I said to my psychiatrist, okay, I will try this medication. And I can't tell you how much better I feel. I mean, it's amazing. I like look forward to my days. The other night I said, I, I wish I could only have, I wish I could just have four hours of sleep. I wish that was enough for me. And because, and, then, and you know, and I'm not doing anything great. I'm like going to the supermarket. I'm clipping coupons. <laughs> I'm cleaning my house. Um, and, you know, surprisingly, some work is coming in because I'm open to it. And I'm also not empowering that stuff out there. That stuff's not going to fix me. Everything that I need to feel good is inside of me already. All I have to do is stop blocking it. And, and I, I think uh, that's what I was doing, and that's what I've been doing. And I believe that I'm doing that less now, and I think a lot of why I'm doing that less now is because I'm on medication that's helping me. But I also believe that medication alone doesn't, doesn't work for me, and, I, and it's not the kind of life I want to lead. I, don't, I like this kind of work. I feel good. I like the 12 steps. I like what they do. I like the people I meet in these rooms. I like having that connection. There's something about knowing that someone else is um, familiar with the 12 steps that is such shorthand for me that, that allows me to communicate in a whole different way with someone. And it doesn't mean that I'm, I'm not prejudiced <laughs> towards other people. I mean, I still have friends who aren't in 12-step programs. <laughs> um, but there, there's definitely something that's a given for people who, who, who come to these rooms. There's a, there's a language. There's a way of life. There's, I feel, a goodness. Um, there's a kindness to this program, and that's what I really love about it. Um, and I also love that I found a way to connect spiritually in my life that I never ever was able to do. I mean, at a very young age, I knew that there was something not right with religion for me. I just, you know, I, did the stuff, I kept hearing, no, don't, bad, guilty, um, wrong, punish. You know, that, these are the things that I kept hearing, and I didn't, I didn't hear love and inclusion and, and likeness and, and togetherness. I always heard, like, separation. They do this and we do this. And, and something just felt inherently wrong to me at a very young age, and I couldn't articulate it. And I, and I wasn't able to find um, a way to connect spiritually until I came to um, OA. And... I'm so grateful for that. And it's interesting because I was talking to my sister today and I was telling her how much better I'm feeling. And she said, do you think a lot of that is because you have you got some work? I said, no, I really don't. I don't think. I said, because, you know, that work's not coming until uh, December. Um, I don't think that's what it is. I, I really feel like it's... Um, 
it's something that's it's spiritual, and I feel like I can rely. And I and I and I don't and and the work isn't what it's about. I told her. I said that's I don't want to rely on things outside of me to feel better. I I believe that there's something that's always taking care of me. You mean you? I said no, no, not me. But I said to her, you know, you and I just don't have the same philosophy on this. And I let it go with that because before I would have tried to convince her about my way and, and ultimately what would have happened is that I would have walked away doubting myself that's what happens to me she, because you know she has the way her life looks is um, much easier than the way my life looks she has my sister has no financial problems at all she has everything she wants she goes on vacations continually she uh, you know it's it, it, to me it's um it's a very, she, it's a very easy existence in that way. But I love what I have, and what I have is is abundance with absolutely no limits, and that's what I'm learning. And don't think that I don't have doubts. Don't think that I don't fall back and think, yeah, but what about, well, how am I going to pay my bills next month? What am I going, you know? And and when I say that, I think uh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer, but I'm open. I'm open to finding out. I'll find out. It'll be shown to me. I believe that. I'm not going to spend today worrying. You know, it's the weirdest way how you find things that help you in life. I was driving um, to um, Burbank one day, and I got off uh, the 134 on. Pass Avenue, and there's a dry cleaner. When you make you make a right, there's a dry cleaner on the left, and they used to always have a saying up on their um, board, the sign. And one day, it said, "Worry is the misuse of the imagination," and that really stayed with me. And from a dry cleaner, I mean, <laughs> who'd have thought? Um, so it can come, you know, something like that can come from anywhere. It really can. And I'm just, I'm so grateful, first of all, to, to, be, to know that I, anyone who's, who's seen me over the past year knows how tough it's been for me and has seen me really, really low. And to see me feeling better, it, to me, is a miracle. It's a miracle. And I'm, I'm not saying... If I might feel low again one day, but remind me that I, <laughs> remind me that I felt better because it's possible, and and you know it all goes in cycles, um, and I don't control it. I just it's this letting go thing that I never really quite got about the powerlessness, and but I don't want to be powerless. You know, I don't. But that that means that I'm nothing. The powerlessness, admitting that I'm powerless, is my power. It's, it allows me, it kind of like opens me as a channel, and it allows things to flow through me. Instead of, instead of feeling that I'm the end and the beginning, I'm just a conduit for all this stuff. And um, there are still times that I don't get it. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll get... I mean, it's life, you know. One day we'll, we'll, we'll 
things will make sense and another day nothing makes sense. But once again, even when nothing makes sense, to accept it, that's okay. That's something that my sponsor told me to do a couple of months ago, is read on acceptance every day. Today, I forgot that, and I was looking for some yarn in the house. Um, I was knitting, I was going to start knitting something for my daughter, because I... I haven't been able to knit because, you know, she's young and every time I took anything out she was in it and I just about said, okay, I'm ready to do this again. So I start going to the yarn. I I can only find part of the yarn. Where's the rest of that? I tore this 700 square feet (laughs) apart. You can imagine all the shit that is crammed into 700 square feet when four people and a dog live in the space. And I said, it's got to be somewhere and I'm I'm going through it and going through it and I finally said, you know what? I have to open this book and I have to read on acceptance. And it said that that if I'm not accepting something, that that's the bottom line. That that's my problem. It's not my problem that I can't find the yarn. My problem is that I'm not accepting that that I'm not finding it. So I just said, okay, I'm not going to be using that yarn right now. And I just let it go, and I sat down, and I wrote my gratitude list, and I meditated. And the rest of the day has been great, because I let that go. And it's such a minor thing. But at every turn in my day, if I can remember to accept and to let go, everything gets better. Even, even by that much, it definitely goes in the right direction. It doesn't get worse, I can tell you that. Um, And um, I hope that I'm here in these rooms and learning and open and able to grow, you know, for as long as I'm on this planet. And I just feel, I feel very blessed to have a disease that brought me here. Just because I don't know how else I would have gotten here. But maybe I would have gotten some other disease which would have, which would have gotten me here. But I just feel blessed to, to have been brought to these rooms. And it's been um, great. I, I think I pretty much have finished my... Uh, I've used up my time. And um, I feel very honored to be here and be able to share whatever I've learned with you, and I uh, thank you very much. Oh, for questions? A few minutes for questions. Okay. Um, how do you find that you handle disappointment? How do I find that I handle disappointment now? Um, much better. I mean, much, <laughs> much better because, I mean, just to go back to, to acceptance. If I'm... I mean, disappointment is, is, is a sort of an emotional reaction, and then when I, when I think about it, I have to just accept it. it. It might not... I might not like it, but I have to accept it because I don't know what's going to happen as a result of it. You know, we, don't, we know so little. And what I think is going to be the perfect thing for me, job, relationship, shirt, 
whatever, you know. Um, it just isn't. And, bless you, someone sneezed. And, uh, <laughs> to repeat everything. And, uh, <laughs> I want that to make sense within the context of the text. And, uh, um, it just is, it, it's really, I don't think it's a matter of denying your feelings. I mean, if, if I wanted something, and you still want, I mean, I still want things. And if, I, if I was up for a job that I thought would be terrific and I didn't get it, I would be disappointed. But I probably wouldn't throw myself on my bed and say I hate my life and I want, I want to die. And, and that I would say, gee, I'm really disappointed that I didn't get this job and shit, I wish I'd gotten it. And it probably would come up a few times and all of a sudden I'd feel good and I'd go, oh, shit. And, you know, it's that kind of thing. But basically, every time I say shit, I go back to accepting it. You know, it's just, it's just you have to kind of keep working the groove, you know. Because I've, I've worked the disappointment groove very deep in my brain. So I have to work the other groove a little bit, a little bit better. My question was kind of similar. Yes. You've got a lot of time to program. My question is, when you, when you have a big feeling, a big feeling going on, what tools do you use or what do you do to manage yourself through the day when you've got a big feeling? The question is, uh, I, uh, I have a lot of time in program. Um, regardless of what do I do to manage a day when I have very big feelings. Now, I, I'm assuming that you mean by big feelings, you, you mean positive or negative or just Either. Um, I have to say, basically, to go back to acceptance and to keep it as simple as I can and to not, not run away and just, you know, keep turning it over. Keep letting it go and putting it out there to the universe. Whatever you want, God, whatever you want. Whatever you want. I mean, I can't make myself feel any differently than I feel. If I feel euphoric, I'll, I'm going to feel euphoric. If I feel sad, I'm going to feel sad. I mean, when I was feeling in my depths, there was no way I couldn't feel that. And I just had to say, okay, I, I, I feel that. When, when I was just in a panic over not having work, I said, you know what, I have to accept that I've run out of ideas right now. I've run out of ideas. And I have to just be still and let more ideas show themselves, show themselves to me. I'm not going to do it if I panic. Um, a lot of self-talk, a lot of self-talk, a lot of self-love, and and a lot of gratitude. You know what? 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 Because so many things, so many really simple things, without without. You know, making without platitudes, very simple things that I'm very grateful for. Great teeth, such good teeth. <laughs> whenever, whenever I'm like, whenever I'm like at a lack, I, oh, I love, I have such good teeth. I have such good teeth. Um, and you know, my daughter's healthy. We have a house to live in. We have food on the table. Um, I mean, I, can, I really, I mean, and I do a gratitude list almost every day. And that really helps. It really helps. Does that answer? Okay. Time? Time. Thank you.